But we're going to start a new series. It's called There Are No Outsiders. And today we're actually going to start in Luke, the 15th chapter. We're going to be in the 15th chapter for a couple weeks. And then we're going to move from there um, to some other things that I want to share that I feel like God has laid on my heart. I'm very excited about this series. Um, this has been kind of in my mind for about a month and a half. And when, when God really kind of shared this with me. And so I was very excited about being able to share it with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you and I need you right now. Father, I pray that you would anoint my words, you would anoint the things that come out of my mouth, and I pray that everything that exits my mouth comes from you. You're good, and you're awesome, and you love us, and you desire us to be changed this morning. And so this morning, we ask that you change us, you change our mindset, you change our hearts, you change us to be more like you. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke, the 15th chapter, it's a chapter that most of you know. It's a very famous chapter of the Bible. It's one of my favorites because of some of the stories that we hear as far as that Jesus teaches in this chapter, and I love it. But here's what we're looking at. In John, it's going to be Luke 15, 1, it says this. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. I wanted to start here because I wanted you to understand the context of what Jesus is teaching. Now, most of you know this portion of scripture. Today, we're going to talk about the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin. Next week, we'll talk more about the story of the lost son. But you have to understand the context of what Jesus is sharing here. Like I said, most of you know these stories, but you don't know why. Why Jesus is telling them. This is why. His audience is a bunch of Pharisees or religious people, and also he's with notorious sinners. In other translations, it talks about tax collectors who the people hated, who they saw as nothing more than traitors to the Jewish way of life and the Jewish understanding. And so basically, Jesus is teaching these individuals. He's teaching, and all of a sudden, these horrible, bad people in the minds of the Pharisees and the teachers begin to sneak up and begin to listen. And as they begin to listen, they, the religious people begin to murmur and they begin to complain and they begin to say things like, I can't believe that Jesus would do this. There's another portion of scripture that we're not going to talk about today where basically a man looks at Jesus and, and this woman has come and she's, she's a sinful woman in the mind of this man. And he says, if Jesus was really a prophet, he'd know who was touching her. Very disgusting statement. And so what these stories are about is Jesus responding to this mindset. He is responding to the understanding that in the Jewish mind, there was those things you did and there was the things you just didn't do. And one of them was if you were righteous, you didn't hang out with the sinners. That is not what you did. There was a separation there. There was even some Pharisees that believed that you didn't even teach unclean people about God. They didn't deserve it. This is the mindset that we're dealing with here. This is why these guys are so upset. Because Jesus is not only teaching them, but as it states here, he's even eating with them. Which was a big, big no, 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 no. To eat with someone was accepting them. To eat with someone was something very important. And so this is the background. This is where we're at. So Jesus is hearing this complaining. He's hearing this situation. And so he, because of that, he tells these stories. So we're going to start here with verse number three. It says, so Jesus told them this story. 
if a man has 100 sheep and loses one of them, or one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 coins, 10 silver coins, and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice for me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. We're going to focus today, like I said, on the lost sheep and the lost coin, these two stories. And we're going to look at some of these things because in both stories, there's some similarities. And we're going to focus in on those this morning. The first one we're going to look at is this. In both stories, the object being searched for had great value to the one doing the searching. Look at verses four and number eight again. It says this, if a man has a hundred sheep and loses one and they get lost, what will he do? He will leave the 99 and others in the wilderness and go to to search for the one that is lost until he finds it. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. She will light a lamp, sweep the entire house, and search carefully until she finds it. These items meant something. Now you have to understand what Jesus has done here. He hasn't told the same story twice. He's told the same story in slightly different ways. If a shepherd had a hundred sheep, that was a well-off shepherd. That was a rich shepherd. But if a woman had ten silver coins, that was not a lot of money. Basically, one silver coin was basically about a day's wages. That's all she had. Without those mo- without that money, she's got nothing, okay? She is searching her house. So you have two extremes here. You have a rich individual who has plenty, and you have a poor individual who has nothing. Jesus is telling this story in the same way, but he's sharing it in a different way. He's basically saying, look, it doesn't matter if you have a lot or you have a little, you have to find value in what you're searching for. Listen, think of it in your own life. If you lose something that doesn't have value, you won't take time to look for it. I have something over here that I thought would be very interesting to show you. This is a set of car keys. Most of you have something similar to this, or your parents do. If you lost these things, you would not do this. Oh, well. (laughs) Now, maybe there was a time where that was easier. But now with all these fangled mechanical wizardry that's all in this thing, it's like if you want a new one of these, you got to go to the store, and it will cost you your firstborn son. You will look for this. You will find this. How many, I mean, I I think I've heard weird stories about, you know, people that have way too much time on their hands that have found out that, like, the average person wastes three and a half years of their life looking for their car keys. Why? It's valuable. Listen, if you're not going to value the lost things of this world, you will not do anything to go and find them. We do not, at times, have enough value in the lost. At times, we are the type of people that are very similar to the Pharisees. But to the people that lost these items, whether it was a coin or a sheep, they mattered. It was important to them. They were willing to search. They were willing to leave. They were willing to light a lamp and look for the coin or look for the sheep. Jesus here is helping people and helping us to understand that we need to value lost things. 
We need to make that something that matters to us. Because here's the thing, I'll tell you quite honestly, if you spend all your time doing this and looking inward, you will never see the ones that are outside. And they matter. You see, because according to God and according to Jesus, there are no outsiders. Everyone is welcome. To the Pharisees and to their mindset, there was the holy ones and the unclean ones. There was a separation that took place. And you weren't around the ones that weren't like you. Now you go, wow, how silly. How, how silly is that? Really? Really? Okay. Are you going to welcome somebody that doesn't look like you into this place? Or somebody that doesn't vote like you in this place? Or doesn't like the same kind of music as you in this place? Or doesn't dress like you in this place? You know what I've learned about myself? I'm much more Pharisee than I am Jesus. My life is much more Pharisee than it is Jesus. I'm trying real hard to get more like Jesus, but a lot of times I'm much more like the guys that I don't want to be like than I am the one that I do want to be like. A lot of times instead of focusing and caring about those that aren't here, I begin to focus on those that are right here. I begin to say, you know what, Jesus? I, they, they don't think like I do. They don't. And, and when we do that, we, we devalue them. We devalue people. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. No, they matter. They matter in a huge way. Remember who he's speaking to here. He's not just speaking to the religious folks. He's also speaking to the folks that are the sinners. So everybody's here in this message. He's speaking to the guys that basically said those guys don't even deserve to hear about God. He is totally and completely, and I love it when Jesus does this. Don't misunderstand. I, this is like one of my favorite things, okay? Okay, this is one of my favorite things that Jesus does. It's like sometimes Jesus will come up to the religious leaders, okay? Now, let's, let's define for today who religious leaders are, okay? You ready? Religious leaders today are people like me and people like you, okay? We need to understand who Jesus is speaking to here. Because again, maybe you're much more spiritual than I am, but I'm much more Pharisee at times than Jesus. So Jesus here is talking to them. And Jesus, they, listen, listen, they have their, their little thing all set up and it's all beautiful. Listen, a couple weeks ago it snowed and it was glorious because I'm crazy like that. And my son and I went outside and one of his favorite things to do now is to play in the snow because he is a godly young man, Okay. If you don't like snow, it's okay. We'll, we'll pray for you. Anyway, uh, not teasing. Anyway, so, so we were, we're playing out in the snow. And one of Easton's favorite things to do is to make a snow angel. Okay? And so he'll plop down and he'll do the little thing, you know, and it's just the cutest little thing you ever saw, you know, like that. And he'll look at me and goes, Dad, make a snow angel. And I'll say, okay. And I'll sit down and I'll do it too, you know, because I have a four-year-old and that's what you do, you know. And so I'm making a snow angel, and we just, oh, aren't they great? And I'm looking at them, and I'm like, oh, there's dads, and there's my sons. You know, you start to get, 
my boy, you know, saying, you know, you're excited, you know, and I'm just like, I want to like leave it there forever, you know, it's like, this is like, I want to like go pour concrete and make little, you know, snow angel places on the ground, you know, all this sort of stuff, and so we're playing, we're having a great time, and so the next thing I know, what's Easton doing? He messed up my snow angels, and he's just laughing, and he's kicking it, and I'm going, you just, you just, this is my memory, my boy, you know, it's like, you know, Jesus did that a lot to the Pharisees, and I love it. It's like they got their perfect little snow angels, and Jesus just kind of comes in and he goes, he goes, yeah, that stuff that you've been thinking was wrong. You get it all set up, and let me tell you what it's supposed to be like. I love when Jesus does this, and that's really what he's doing here. He's saying, you don't value these people enough. These people matter. And here's what's so beautiful about that. You and your horrible, terrible imperfection, which is all of us, is beautiful to God. You matter to God. You are valuable to him. He will go and he'll leave the 99 to find you. He'll sweep the house. He'll light a lamp. He will do whatever he can do to find you and look for you because you matter to him. He's expressing that, not just to the people that are there that should know better. He's expressing it to those that the people that know better don't want there. He's saying, you matter. And if people matter to us, then we better be willing to go out and search for them. Number two, in both stories, God is actively searching for the lost. He is actively searching for the lost. He says, won't he leave the 90 and others in the wilderness and go search for the one who is lost until he finds it? And the other one in verse number eight says this, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Listen, in these stories and in the story next week, there's people that, that, that they mean something, okay? So let me help you in this. Most of you know this, but just in case, the shepherd, the woman, and the father, next week is the, the lost son, represent Jesus, or God, okay? The lost sheep, the lost son, and the lost coin represent someone that does not know God or that is far away from God. Maybe someone who knew God at one time, but at this point is not living a life that is consistent to what God has asked them to live. And that's usually where we stop. But there's another character sometimes that we miss, especially in the story of the coin and the lost sheep. And that is this. There's the 99... There's the nine coins that aren't lost, and then there's the older son in the story next week. And those represent the Christians. Those represent the religious leaders. So all of these people represent somebody. Now, you have to understand for just a minute, to to understand the story, you have to understand the Jewish mindset for just a second. The Jewish mindset said this, God did not search for the lost. This was a completely new idea. This was Jesus running through their snow angels. In their world, that did not happen. Only if, and only if you did it the right way, would God accept a sinner. But God never, ever, ever searched for the lost. Jesus here is expressing to them a completely revolutionary, completely new idea. He is literally saying, no, 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 you don't understand. God is actively searching for the lost. His eyes are going to and fro. This is God looking. This blew their minds. 
This was something so radically different than what they understood and what they under uh, been taught that they most probably didn't even know what to do with it. This was new. This was completely and totally new. And Jesus here is going, no, you don't understand how I work. He says, because they have so much value, because they're so important to me, I will be willing to go and find them. I will go. I won't send a hired hand. I won't send somebody else. I won't send an under-shepherd. I will go myself. And I will be willing to do whatever it takes to find them. If that means I leave the 99 and I go into the wilderness to find them, that's what I'll do. If it means that I tear up the house and sweep out the house to find the one coin, that's what I'm going to do. You have to understand this about Jesus. Jesus will search and find lost things. Jesus didn't come to this world to placate us or to work with us, if that makes sense. He came to find and save the lost. Now here's the question. If that was Jesus' mission, as his ambassadors, as his disciples, what should then be our mission? Probably the exact same thing, wouldn't you say? He actively searched. And I want to talk about this real quick with the woman. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week, so I don't want to go too far into this. But I think you need to understand this It costs the woman something. Okay? It cost the woman something to find the coin. Oil had to be bought. To light a lamp, you had to have oil. Now, this woman doesn't have a lot of money. This woman doesn't have a lot. But yet she's willing to light a lamp and to work to find something that was of great value to her. It mattered And it cost her something. It cost her something. My mom and dad tell me this story when they were dating. And I'm not maybe going to tell it exactly right because I don't remember the the denominations of, of money. But I think you'll get the point. My mom and dad were dating. Mom is here this morning. And I heard her, you know. Because she knows exactly what story I'm going to tell right now. And my father, just so you know, my father isn't here this morning. He's not feeling well. So if you could remember to pray for him, I'd really appreciate it. Um, Because he was very excited about coming here and meeting you. But in the story, they were dating. And and forgive me, Mom, if I don't tell the story just quite right. But basically, they were dating. And they went to, uh, they were in college together. And they went to the the quad or some place, it doesn't matter. And they were going to go on their little date. It's so so cute and all this sort of stuff. And so Dad bought... Uh, I think mom like a, a 10 cent or a 5 cent cup of Coke. And they're going to sit there and just hold their Cokes and drink them and just look into each other's eyes and all this beautiful stuff, you know. And they were going to do that. Well, somehow in the process or something, dad had gotten change for the 10 cent Coke. And as they were drinking it or something, dropped a quarter into the Coke. Now, remember, the quarter is 25 cents, obviously. The Cokes are not. They're, they're 10 cents or 5 cents or whatever. And so it drops in. Dad goes. He pours out the Coke to get the quarter out. Now, 
I may be strange or weird, and probably considering the fact that dad was with mom and wanting to impress her, he didn't do this, but probably I would have probably just drank the Coke and then got the quarter out. But you're trying to impress somebody. You don't want him to walk away going, that's weird and disgusting. So he pours it out to get the quarter. Why does he do that? Why was he doing it? cost him something. Here's why. He understood the value of the quarter was more important than the value of the Coke. The problem with us at times, and when I say us, I'm talking about Christendom, is we feel like the Coke is more important than the quarter. We feel like, wait, we'll drink the Coke and throw the quarter away. What Jesus here is helping us to understand is the quarter is so important to him that he'll do what he needs to do to go and get that quarter out. He'll let it cost him something. It costs the woman something. Listen, I need you to understand this. If we are going to reach our community, if we are going to do what God has called us to do, if we are, and you're going to hear this until you're sick of it, I'm going to love it. If, you are, if we are going to be a church that goes out and helps people discover and grow in Jesus, it is going to cost us something. Hallelujah. It's going to cost us something. David said, I will not offer anything that does not cost me something. It's going to cost us something. You better be understand. You better understand that, folks. It's going to, it's going to, we'll talk more about that next week. I don't want to go into it. But just know, God himself went out to find. God himself went and actively is searching for those things. And if we are going to be like him, our job is to be doing the same. Number three, the last one. In both stories, a celebration takes place. When a lost item is found. Look at verse number 5 through verse number 7. It says this. And when he found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over, lost, uh, over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. And it says, and when she finds it, look at verse number 9 of the same chapter. And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. In this ending of these two stories, once again, Jesus is running through their beautifully laid out snow angel because they actually had a phrase at that time that said this. Jewish leaders said, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated by God. That's what they thought. You want to have a party in in heaven? You know when the party took place? When somebody was there and God went... Whoa. And here's Jesus going, no, 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 no. The party happens when somebody comes home. The celebration takes place when something that was dead comes alive again. Now we have to stop. We have to be willing to look at ourselves openly and honestly... Where do we have our parties? Do we have our parties when dead things become alive? Or do we have our parties when dead things get what they deserve? Let's be honest. Something happens to somebody at your work. You know that they are just 
if, if, there was, if, 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 if over here was living for God, they are over there at the wall. And God is pouring out a blessing on them. And you go, God, how could you? God, why would you do that? God, don't you know what they did to me? Don't you know what they've done? Don't you know how horrible we are being in this moment? Where do you have your parties? Let's continue. Something bad happens to them. Ooh, that's right, God. You get them. That's right. They're getting what they deserve. I can't tell you how many times I've said this horrible, terrible phrase. Well, they made their bed. Now they can sleep in it. You know, Jesus wishes that none should perish. That all should come to repentance. That means that person that in your world doesn't deserve it. That means that person that hurt you. That means all people. There is nothing too dirty that God can't make worthy. There is nothing too dirty. There is no sin too great. There is no problem too big that God in his love and his grace and his blood cannot wash completely clean. Nothing. And in that, because that's what God did for us, we should probably be the most excited people on this planet. But instead, we cross our hands and question God. God, how could you? And in those moments, we are so, so much like these Pharisees. We love parties. And we love to celebrate. The question I have is, what are we celebrating? What are we celebrating? You see, these guys thought the celebration and the party came when a dead thing was removed and destroyed. And Jesus here is going, no, 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 no. Over just one. Over just one. That tells me a lot about heaven, just to be honest with you. Because I believe people are coming to know Jesus all the time. Listen, if you think heaven's this boring, terrible place where you're going to sit on a cloud and, and play a harp, let me just, can I just be honest with you? You could not be more wrong. You could not be more wrong. You could be not, you could, I mean, there is a, think about it. Not only are they celebrating those who have become alive again, they are celebrating those who have died on this rock and really become alive again. I mean, that is like continual. This is the greatest thing ever. What are we celebrating? You see, because one of the things that we do here is we celebrate. We, 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 let, we let joy change us. You ever, listen, you ever met somebody who, who went from death to life? You want to talk about something that energizes you? You want to talk about something that literally like grabs a hold of you and shakes you with like joy and just, oh my. Watch somebody that was dead come alive again. Watch somebody who, who did not know Jesus and lived in bondage and shame and guilt become alive again in God. 
You want to talk about joy. You want to talk about expression. You want to talk about something that was brand spanking new and he was excited or she was excited about That's it. When that happens, you, listen, I don't like to run long distances because I think that's crazy because I'm not good at it, okay? Now, if you like to run long distances, you are awesome. I am so proud of you. My wife is one of them and she is amazing. But in those moments... If I didn't feel like my knees would fall off halfway through, I'd run a marathon. Because it's like, oh, there's something about that. There's something about that joy because it comes in and it's like, this is what we were created to do. This is, this is taking dead things and making it alive again. This is what Jesus did. This is who God's called us to be. That's something to get excited about. That's something to let that joy be our strength. Jesus even, or Jesus, David even said, return to me the joy of my salvation. And we can experience that for our own self, and they also experience that when others experience those things. And I don't know about you, but I get the same joy when somebody that's never known Jesus finds him, or somebody that did know Jesus and found him again. It's like I just sit there and I just go, Oh, God, let it be. Oh, God, let it be. Let it be here. Let us be willing to go find lost things. Let us be willing to leave the 99 and leave the 9 to be willing to find the 1. To find the 1. Now, listen here. You need to understand this before we, as we kind of close this thing. Jesus here is not devaluing the 99, and he's not devaluing the nine coins. Remember who his audience is, and remember who he's talking to. He is not devaluing the people that have stayed. He is helping these individuals in this particular context who have treated those people as they were second-class citizens and not worthy to hear God's word or to be saved by him. He's helping them to understand that their thinking has been wrong. Don't misunderstand, because I've heard people say, well, I just don't matter. No, that is a lie from the pit of hell. How do I know? Because at one time or another, guess what you were? A lost sheep or a lost coin. And Jesus went and found you. He went and found you. You say, well, isn't this kind of harsh? Isn't this kind of mean? No, 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 no. Love is a beautiful thing because love is willing to correct. Love is willing to discipline. That's what Jesus is doing here. In his great love for the Pharisees, he's helping them understand that they're seeing things wrong. I don't discipline my child because I hate him. I discipline him because I love him. And you do the same. You want your child to do what's right. And sometimes to do that, you have to do things that will change his or her mindset. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, listen, I know you've always done it this way. I know you've always looked at it this way. Let me explain to you how I see it. If the worship team would come up, we're going to close. As we continue through this series over the next couple weeks, one of the things that we're going to talk about and hear about and is this understanding that 
It's a beautiful thing when God changes our mindset. It's a beautiful thing when we become less like the Pharisees and more like Jesus. We should welcome those things. We should desire those things. Are they comfortable? No, they're really not. Are they fun? You know what? Most of the time, they're really not. But at the end of the day, we get to be more like Jesus, and that's what we want, and that's our desire, and that's our call. So you're going to have to be open over the next couple weeks. You're going to have to be willing to let God's Spirit, not me, God's Holy Spirit, come in and rearrange some stuff in your house. Now, if you look at God, like sometimes I would look at you, if you walked into my house and started moving around my furniture, that's going to be a problem for you. Because you're going to go, no, I like where this is. It's always been there. But Jesus wants to come in, and he wants to rearrange some stuff. He wants to help you to see that there are no outsiders. That there is no one that is too far from the grace of God. And what is so beautiful about that is that God doesn't just want to search. He wants us to search with Him. Remember, if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to do the things that Jesus did. When I was a kid, we all, you know, because it was the 90s and it was weird... We wore WWJD bracelets. Because what would Jesus do? What would, you know, and, and we laugh about that now. Oh, that was cheesy and that was corny. But, but seriously, it, it does have a lot of truth to it. What would Jesus do? Well, in this situation, Jesus went and found the lost. He didn't say, okay, there's a 99 sheep I got. That's enough. One, eh, no big deal. He didn't say, listen, there's a sheep that's run away. I am just going to have the best sheep's pen as possible. And that sheep will find his way home. He didn't say, listen, if we hire the best shepherds, then they'll come. He said, I will leave and I will go. I will leave and I will find. I will not stop until I found it. I will sweep the house. I will light a lamp. I will get down on my hands and knees. Do you understand what Jesus here, here, let me show you. Jesus here is giving this picture of a woman that is frantically searching and looking. Where is my coin? Where should it be? And she's moving stuff and she's sweeping out the house. Her hands are getting dirty. Her feet are getting dirty. Her clothes are getting dirty. And all that matters is finding the coin. And when she finds, I just see it in my mind. She just, I found my coin. And I can only speak for myself. But a lot of times when it comes to lost things, I go, is it really worth it? I mean, that floor is so dirty. I got nine. Nine's pretty good. If we're going to be the hands... And the feet of Jesus, your hands 
and your feet are going to get dirty. And I'll just be flat honest with you. The church as a whole, our hands and our feet are way too clean. They're too clean. Because we think that's going to impress God. Remember what impressed the Jewish people? Cleanliness. You got to make sure you're clean. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing about that story that we love to talk about. Jesus at the Last Supper, he came and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Listen, no matter how dirty we get searching for the lost, Jesus will always make us clean. And I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about renewal. I'm talking about the thing that we need to understand because sometimes when we're out there and we're searching, we get tired, we get dirty, we get wore out. And in those moments, Jesus comes and he refreshes us. He makes us clean again. And we're refreshed. And then we go out and we get dirty again. Listen, more Christians need to be like a four-year-old boy willing to go play in the dirt to find something precious. That's what Jesus has called us to do. There are no outsiders. Not in this place. There will not be in this place. You say, well, what if this person comes in? Then we will welcome them and we will love them. We will tell them the truth of God's word, but we will love them the same. And if you're not comfortable with that, I hate to do this, but I'm just going to do it in love. There's the door and you may use it. We will love and we will look for lost things. And here's what's so beautiful. We'll find them too. It may take us a while. It may, it may be something different. And maybe doing it a way we've never done it before. But at the end of the day, we're going to find lost things. And when we do, we will rejoice. And it's going to be beautiful. So let's pray. Father, right now we come to you. And Father, we, we ask that you change us. We ask that you rearrange our furniture. Father, I'm not saying that all of us are horribly doing all these things, but you know what? At times, we can let things kind of creep in. We can let things kind of come in. We can get bitter, complaining, and jealous. We can be totally focused on ourselves. And in those moments, we're acting more like the Pharisees than you. So change us. Make us new. For you are good. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to talk, okay? Because there's no way on this world that we're going to talk about lost things today and not give somebody an opportunity to be found. And so this morning, maybe through the worship and through me sharing, you've just had this tug on your heart. That's, let me explain to you what that is. That's God wooing you home. That's God saying you matter. That's God saying you are valuable to me. 
That's God saying right now, in this moment, no matter how imperfect you think you are, I want you. Jesus is on his hands and knees, frantically searching for you. You. Whether you never have been found, whether you were a long time ago, but quite honestly, your life at this point just really isn't following what he's asked you to do. You can be found today. You matter today. Remember, Jesus didn't just tell this story to the Pharisees. He told it to the notorious sinners. And just so you know, that was me. Notorious sinner. There are times where I still mess up. And I look at my life and I go, God, I'm nothing more than a notorious sinner. Will you forgive me? And Jesus always does. So this isn't about perfection. This is about transformation that takes time. Regeneration that takes time. So maybe this morning, you want to say, you know what, Aaron? I know Jesus has been looking for me. And today I just want to be found. Nobody looking around, because this isn't about us and you. This is about God and you. Now, my eyes are open for the main reason. I just want to be able to pray with you and pray for you. That's it. But this is between you and your heavenly father. This is between you and the shepherd. But I promise you this. Today, if you'll say, I want to be found, there will be rejoicing. There will be excitement. There will be a shepherd who places you on his shoulders and carries you home and says, my thing that was lost has been found. My thing that was dead has been alive again. My, 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 my lost thing that had shame and guilt and bondage has now received life and freedom and grace. So here's what I want you to do. In just a moment, I'm just going to ask you to look at me. Make sure that I make eye contact with you, Okay? This is a good way to make sure that, that everybody else got their eyes closed, okay? But if that's you, I want you to look at me when I count to three. I just want you to look at me. Make sure I make eye contact. When I see you, you can go down. That way we can just pray, okay? Does that sound good? Okay, one, two, three. Once I see you, you can look down. Oh, good Lord. Okay. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you love finding lost things. You love it. It is your heart's cry. It's why you came. And so, Father, right now, as several people looked up to me, and Father, I don't know where they're at. I don't know, maybe they've known you in the past, but they don't know. Maybe it's the very first time. Whatever it is, Father, they have, they have indicated a desire to be found. And so, Father, as we pray together, Father, I know that you will forgive them, that you will welcome them, that you will put them on your shoulders and carry them home. And we will celebrate. We will celebrate. 
because we know what was lost has been found. What is dead is now alive again. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'm going to pray. And in your heart, God hears your heart. I just want you to repeat after me. If you looked up at me, repeat after me deep down in your heart. And if you mean this prayer, you'll be found. You'll be found and God will make all things new. He won't make life perfect. There will still be troubles. But he will walk with you and be with you and change you to be more like him. So Jesus, I thank you that you search for lost things. Jesus, I thank you that there are no outsiders to your grace and to your love and to your hand. No matter how far I've gone, no matter how far I've run, you can always reach me. And so Jesus, right now, I pray that you would find me. I pray that you would make me new. I pray that you would forgive me. And I pray that you would change me. I pray that you would start a renovation inside of every aspect of my life. I lay down guilt. I lay down shame. I lay down my past. And I pick up your love and your peace and your grace and your goodness. I now belong to you. I have been adopted into your family. And now I am free. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your goodness. You are so good, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.